You're listening to the Christian Post Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Showalter. Is the church in America really dying? Several studies show an ongoing decline in church attendance and religious affiliation, and we've heard all about the rise of the nuns. These nuns, that's N-O-N-E-S, while not necessarily atheist or agnostic, either never have or no longer identify with any particular religious tradition. But do the numbers paint a true picture of U.S. Christianity? In his latest book, The Myth of the Dying Church, How Christianity is Actually Thriving in America and the World, Glenn Stanton challenges the conventional wisdom on this subject. And he urges Christians to stop believing the narrative that Christianity is declining and instead discover the truth about the health of the church. Stanton is the director of Global Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He debates and lectures extensively on the issues of gender, sexuality, marriage, and parenting at universities and churches around the world. He is also a contributing writer to The Federalist and has served President George W. Bush's administration for many years as a consultant on increasing fatherhood involvement in the Head Start program. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us today on the CP Podcast. It's really great to have you. Well, thank you, Brendan. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to be with you. I appreciate you having me. Well, it's I think it's such an important conversation uh, that, you know, as I... I just mentioned we've heard a lot about the rise of the nuns. That's a it's a dominant theme um, in certainly Christian news coverage as political demographics are shifting and the analysis emerges from all of that. And you know we hear often that the church is shrinking today, um, and that millennials in particular and millennials in Generation Z are abandoning their faith, uh, and that the Christian faith especially is vanishing. Uh, Yet you argue that this is not the case. So what's what has your research found? Well, it's interesting. I mean, you know, like you said in in the book, The Myth of the Dying Church, I mean, you know, quite a few chapters on that laying out very carefully um, the problem with our current assumptions. And a lot of these um, reports that we hear are based on a report here or a report there, and oftentimes a very superficial or incorrect reading of the report itself. But what I'm providing here is an overview, a vast overview of the research on this question, you know, over the last 10, 20 years. So it's a, you know, kind of a bird's eye view of what all the data says. And it's interesting. I mean, I start out the book in, in a curious way asking, is Christianity shrinking? And the answer is yes and no. You think, how in the world can we have a conflicting answer like that? Well, the issue is it depends on what part of the church you're looking at. Liberal compromising um, mainline churches, I mean, those denying the deity of Christ and the resurrection never really happened, and sin is, you know, just an idea from days gone by. And yeah, we can endure, you know, we can ordain gay clergy and, you know, celebrate abortion. Those churches are tanking by the millions, right. and they have been, you know, for the past 30, 40 years. And that's what we're seeing today. So people leaving those churches, if you will, are waiting. Um, the numbers or or socking the numbers, if you will, on the decline of Christianity. Now, on the other hand, biblical churches, biblically faithful churches, evangelical churches that are 
faithful to teaching scripture, calling people to real discipleship, um, calling people to really vibrant worship. Um, you know, in many ways, the churches that, you know, you and I go to, those churches are holding absolutely rock solid anchor strong and many of them are growing in wonderful ways so we have this division fidelity to the word of god calling people to real christianity god is still and he will continue to honor that god's word will not return void um but the churches that are you know, uh, compromising. And as I like to say, quote unquote, getting with the times, right. um, you know, becoming quote unquote, more relevant. Um, people are not interested in those churches. churches. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I think this is, that's very interesting. And a, a part, what do you think though? I mean, you mentioned these reports, you're referring to say, you know, Gallup or Pew Research, all of these sort of data, uh, these polling companies that are reputable, but you, so there's these, they just pride. Are you saying that they provide, uh, snapshots instead of comprehensive pictures of what's really going on? Well, see, and that's interesting. And a lot of the truth lies here in nuances. I mean, I always say the truth is typically always found in the nuances rather than this extreme or the other. And now Pew, I cite them a lot in the book. Right. They are excellent. Mm -hmm. But the problem is reporting on these reports. You know, I read this in the USA Today, or I read this in the Los Angeles Times, or I read this from this Christian leader, and seldom, I mean, a lot of times these people are doing reports, what I call report by um, press release. Oh, juicy headlines, getting some juicy headlines. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and reading the study itself. And I give an example in the book that there was a particular Pew study that said Americans less religious than ever. Okay, mm -hmm. that was the title. And then you do a search on that, and you see the Washington Post, the New York Times, you know, really every major paper saying, oh my goodness, Americans less religious than they've ever been. Now, the subtitle right up there on the Pew Report said, Yet serious Christian conviction holds steady. <laughs> right? I mean, it's yeah. it's just thinking right there. And right. so you see those kinds of things. Pew is saying the right thing. It's just the way that the story is interpreted and and reported by various people. And so I had a great time digging into and saying, okay, X was reported. Let's go into the study and see what it actually says. And oftentimes the study itself, getting into the more granular stuff, says the exact opposite than the reporters are saying that it is. That's, that's fascinating. Now, you present some, I think, really interesting research and data analysis from Harvard. Tell our, tell, tell our listeners about that. Yeah, yeah. This is some relatively new research that, that came out of Harvard, one um, sociologist of religion. And, and let me just say, you know, beyond the Pew data and things like that, that is what I'm drawing from, is from professional leading sociologists of religion, from leading institutions who study this stuff day in and day out. And two of these guys, one from Harvard University, another guy from Indiana University or the University 
University of Indiana, um, they cooperated together on some research, and they wanted to test what they called the secularization thesis. And that is, like many places in Europe, the more developed, the more advanced a culture gets politically, economically, all those kinds of things, that the culture turns more secular. And many of us would think, oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, they wanted to test that in the United States to see if it were actually the case. And they said, yes, while the culture itself is turning more secular, if you will, individuals are not turning more secular. They said – and this is fascinating. One of the things they did was they studied really vibrant faith or really rugged faith, if you will. They wanted to see, okay, who are these people that really take God's word as God's word? Who are these people that attend church more every week and sometimes even more than once a week? Who are these people that pray um, more regularly than just over meals and, and you know things like that? Um, they found out that those kinds of Christians are absolutely holding steady, rock solid, and they said there is no decline. There is no um, lessening of that kind of faith in the United States. So again, this supports a lot of the other data that if there are those walking away from the Christian faith, they are people who never really had a hold of the Christian faith in the first place. But those people, young and adult, who have a vibrant faith, who go to a vibrant church, and, and again, these are not super Christians necessarily, but you know, those people who are committed to what they do, those are holding steady. Now, they're a minority in America, but they're a substantive minority. Um, and see, that is, is very, very good news. And it's fascinating that Harvard research to read these scholars and just see how strongly they put the point that, no, America is certainly not turning more secular. And that's very, very good news. Well, and I think you make a very insightful point there, particularly because, uh, you know, as the, as the culture does become more secular, uh, it does force Christians to go deeper in their faith. So it's kind of a win in a way because by, they just have to go deeper because um, yeah. they, they see, uh, again, the culture becoming much more not just secular but opposed to their faith and the culture makers and those who are shaping our culture-making institutions. Um, yeah, I, I've, just, I've, I've noticed this even in the media world. I've been fascinated and kind of disturbed, Glenn, to see— I mean, just even even in the last couple of years, a more overt presence of uh, the occult and the demonic in popular media, and just this kind of not just you know sinful, if to use that word, but right, just a rig, exactly. outright opposition, you know, satanic. Even you know, there's a there's yeah. a TV show I think called Lucifer, literally, where they, like this guy, this character is this very charming guy, and he's. But his, his name is Lucifer, and I was just I'm stunned to see all this. But I guess just to the piggyback off on that last question, if about if the culture is um, becoming more secular, but America as a whole is not becoming more secular or more unbelieving, um, what is it becoming really? I mean, I, I could you explain exp expound on that a little bit more? 
Yeah, it's very, very important for us to understand exactly what you're saying. Like, you know, that show on Netflix, Lucifer, you right. have, oh my goodness, our nation celebrating right. pra- the contrast you know, gay is so pride stark. and all that. Yeah. But it's the elites that are running that. Mm. You know, I, I like to say, you know, doing sociology by Walmart, it's like the people going to Walmart every day, you know, they're mm-hmm. not saying, gosh, I wish there were more satanic shows on TV. Gosh, <laughs> you know what? I wish we could celebrate more radical sexualities. Um, we, we see that stuff, and maybe if we don't have a very tight anchor, we're, we're swayed by it here or there. Mm-hmm. But it's not that we're clamoring for it. It's right. not, you know, that we're moving in that direction. In Why fact, are the I mean, elites so out of touch? Why are they so out of touch? Well, in a sense, it's that's not a problem for them. They're not wanting to be in touch, yeah, but right? But they definitely they have them, a, They definitely have something they want. I mean, they've got an agenda. Oh. <laughs> No, absolutely, and they feel like they have to educate the rest of us bumpkins out yeah, there. So um, yeah. And so the thing is, is you know, overall, is faith doing wonderfully in America? Are we, you know, have a, a church of robust Christians? Now, in one sense, I'm not saying that mm-hmm. that you know, theological knowledge is very poor. We have you know a lot of commercialization. And materialism within the church, and not just you know fancy rings and cars, but like oh we've got to get this latest book, we've got to you know go to this latest conference. Um, there are those weaknesses for sure in the church, but in terms of people turning their backs on Christianity, it's just simply not happening through you know the heartland of America um, and even on you know each coast. There are churches that are thriving, and as you know, I make the point in the book. Just act, you know, incidentally, um, here in our town. I mean, I'm in Colorado Springs, but there are many towns where churches, when they let out on Sunday, they need off-duty police officers to direct the traffic out of the parking lots. Right. I mean, you think about talking to our grandkids and great grandkids one day and saying, "Oh yeah, back in those days, we had these things called mega churches, and police had to come and you know." direct the traffic out of the parking lots because so many people were there. And that's what we're seeing today. So yeah, there, there's a secularization of the culture. There's a coarsening of the culture. And very few Christians are, are really discerning that maybe that's not a, such a good thing, but it's not like we're all moving in that direction. Um, I and I think that's very, very important to see. And again, like this Harvard research says, their secularization thesis, they found that it just simply didn't hold for the United States and that the United States was a vast exception to Europe in that, no, uh, as believers, as individuals, yes. yeah, we're not, we're not turning that way. Yeah, we're not the same as Europe. <laughs> Definitely not the same as Europe. But uh, let's talk a little bit now then about these nuns, N-O-N-E-S, uh-huh. because I think um, while, you know, Whereas, and you touched on this earlier, you know, many in previous generations, even if they weren't particularly active um, practicing Christians, they would say Christian, whereas today people will say none. They don't have any sort of attachment to any, you know, institutional church or organization. Uh, and I've I've observed just within my own generation, I'm a millennial, and even those who do say none, uh, we've 
been some reports recently about how lonely my generation is, and part of that's you know iPhones and technology and social media. Mm-hmm. But they're very spiritually searching and questioning it. The whole you know not religious but spiritual thing that's definitely yeah. real. But they're asking uh, very important, serious questions. They're not atheist or agnostic. They're not exactly. Um, but and but and so tell us more about these these nuns, these religious nuns. Um, and you say they they don't really represent a growing, you know, share of the populace of unbelievers. What, what's yeah, that no, all that's, about? Unpack that for yeah, us. Yeah, that's exactly right, Brandon. And it's it's you know comes down to this: the nuns do not represent a a growing population of unbelief. The change itself is in the way they categorize themselves, yeah. exactly like you said. Whereas once upon a time, they would have said, oh, yeah, I'm Episcopal. I mean, right. any Easter or Christmas, you'll find me down at you know, Pinecone Episcopal Church. That's where I go. Um, and, and heck, we just had our grandmother's funeral there. So, yeah, that's where we are. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, they don't have any faith to speak of. But now because of the way some of the questions are being asked, um, they just simply are being more honest about what they never had in the first place. So this is not a shift in belief or practice. It's just a shift in identity. And what's interesting about it, Brandon, is the professional sociologists of religion that study this stuff, I mean, that's just common knowledge to them. Um, that, yeah, it's it's not a growing unbelief. And it's interesting that um, one of the guys who is big in this field, he's the guy that coined the term the nuns. Um, he holds exactly that position, but he told me when I was writing the book, I called him and talked to him, and he said, what was really frustrating to me is when I reported that information about the nuns, they didn't pick up, the media didn't pick up on the larger part of the story, and he goes, that's where the real growth is among what I call the nuns. And he meant non-denominational churches. He says, Glenn, non-denominational churches, which are generally evangelical churches, those have been growing faster and larger over the same period of time than the so-called nuns have been growing. And so, again, that's the media not picking up on the main guts of the story that, you know, even as we say the nuns are growing, which, again, is not a growth. It's just a change in identification. The non-denominational churches are growing nicely, and we see that. All of us see it within our own communities. This, my next question is about, uh, it, again, it's young people, because that, you know, a lot of Christian leaders are, you know, very sincere in their desire, you know, Christian families, too, to pass on their faith to their children, and there seem to be uh, so many competing forces, you know, hindering from, from doing that, and you know, we're sort of watching, you know, sex abuse scandals and all kinds of really difficult things being exposed uh, in the culture more broadly, but also in churches, and that just does a number on people's faith, understandably. But, you know, you say that young people are actually not leaving the church in terrifying numbers. I'd I'd be interested to hear more of that, too, and if you could also... uh, I'd love to know your take on, and I've, I've asked this question to other scholars, and I just find it fascinating, so I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about this, but uh, there's a Catholic scholar, Mary Iberstadt, and also Protestant apologist Alex McFarland, both of whom have written books and explained that they believe that the reason 
uh, faith is shrinking among the younger generation as is as a result of family breakdown. And that family, you know, Mary Eberstadt's book is called How the West Really Lost God, I believe. Uh, yeah. What's your take yeah. on that? But again, I, I explain your view about, you say young people are actually not uh, heading out at the record numbers that we, uh, we so often hear about. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that some of our evangelical apologists, um, you know, will will be inclined to say. And Alex is a very good friend and a very mm-hmm. dear friend, and I respect him. He's a great him. guy. I mean, we, yeah, yeah and, and we kind of disagree on this, you know, just how bad the problem is. Now, when you look at young people leaving the faith, are they leaving the faith? Yes, indeed they are. But what are they leaving? Again, just like adults, they're leaving that lukewarm kind of mushy, compromising faith, Christian faith, which they never really held on to in the first place. Now, kids who are raised in good, vibrant, faithful, and again, not Superman churches, but, Mm -hmm. you know, good, vibrant, faithful, evangelical churches, the data is very clear, and I I have two whole chapters in the book on this, that those kids are highly likely to hang on to their faith. But before I go into that, there's a couple of things to talk about. First of all, every generation, I mean, I was even looking at some work, original writings from the Puritans, and the Puritans themselves said, this may be the last generation of Christians that we see. Uh, because they're saying our kids are you know, involved in this and that, and they're falling away from the faith. And what that is, is parents just saying, it's kind of like every generation has had the, those kids, you know, kind of you, what are you going to do with them today? Um, And that even when kids go off to college and when they go into early adulthood, they're showing more independence. They're not going to church as often. Um, They're staying up later on Saturday night. They're, you know, they're, they're missing here and there, but that doesn't mean they're giving up on their faith. They're in a more transitional time in their life. Um, and again, every generation has been that way, as I say in the book and like to say it tongue in cheek. Um, look at the family that God created, Cain and Abel. I mean, yeah. you know, sibling on sibling homicide. <laughs> you well, could the, the Old cast Testament's as full a... of family dysfunction <laughs> being used by God. And that's the redemptive yeah, story. Yeah. Right. But in terms of the sociology, um, you don't find a moving away from the faith. In fact, the general social survey, big, big research project that's been going on for decades at the University of Chicago, they report that we have more young adults, 18 to 29-year-old, regularly attending evangelical churches today than we did in the early 1970s, and that, you know, you look at it, and I look at this um, in the book. I, I got the idea, and I thought, well, why, Glenn, why don't you look at the, you know, the vital statistics for ministry for Young Life and for InterVarsity, who works with college students? They are reaching more kids today. They are having more professions of faith today, both domestically and around the world. I mean, both of those organizations have never been more successful, reaching more kids, having more decisions for Christ, having more um, college students and high school students coming to their program than they ever had since they were founded in the early 40s. 
And so when you look at the real actual numbers of what's really happening on the ground, it's it's largely a very good news story. And we see that again with the young people. And that has to do with, you know, really orthodox faithful teaching youth ministries and churches. Those are doing quite well. Well, we need to hear more of this good news. I just believe that so deeply. Uh, so much negative news in the world, and it's, this is so encouraging what you're sharing. I um, My heart's just coming alive uh, hearing you speak about this. And, you know, one, one of the—I I've do I've done a fair amount of reporting on this subject, but I actually believe that one of the greatest— threats, um, not to be so fear-mongering about it, but I do believe that a consistent threat to the Church is the ongoing, ever-increasing sexual revolution Uh, as a force. It didn't just begin in the 60s, but really that's when things really manifested, where things took off and really destroyed so much in its wake. Um, And just to sort of circle back on what you said earlier about churches that have, you know, liberal Protestant churches especially, where they've compromised so much, and they've basically stopped talking about sin altogether, miracle salvation, you know, they've accepted the sexual revolutionary line that anything goes, basically, and, you know, these are what sort of these elite thought leaders say the young people want. When the data proves the opposite, um, why is this not true? I mean, speak to that a little bit more. Well, it's interesting, and you hear this, that unless the church, quote-unquote, gets with the times and, you know, forgets these old ideas about sexuality and homosexuality and and those kinds of things, well, the churches that are, quote-unquote, getting with the times, people are not flocking to those churches. They're going to the churches that take a traditional view, and this is Uh, an astounding stat that I have in the book, and this comes out of an academic journal article. Two scholars, um, one from Columbia University, the other from UCLA, they're both famously pro-gay scholars, researchers. Um, They wanted to study people with same-sex attraction, people who identify as either gay or lesbian. Those who go to church, where do they choose to go to church? And they were expecting to find, and they wanted to trumpet this, that they're going to the rainbow flag waving, you know, we welcome and affirm all kinds of churches. What they found out to their absolute chagrin, that same-sex identified people who go to church regularly, um, get up on Sunday morning to go do that, they're 2.5 times more likely to go to more traditional Bible-teaching churches than they are the rainbow flag-waving churches. And, I mean, so they were just shocked by that. Now, you know, we've got to ask ourselves, and and I say this tongue-in-cheek, don't these gay and lesbian individuals realize how hostile and ugly and hateful and bigoted those Bible-teaching churches are? Well, Maybe these gay and lesbian people are just not smart enough to realize how bad these churches are, or maybe they find out these churches are actually quite nice to go to because they hear the Word of God. People are loving to them. People are welcoming them, even if they don't buy into the sexual decisions and, and you know lifestyles that are being lived there. No, when you teach God's Word— People are going to be drawn to it. I mean, God told us that, and I cite this in the book. You know, God himself said, 
my word shall not return void. But we pretend like today God didn't know what he was talking about. Well, we're teaching the word of God. We're being vibrant. We're being you know, faithful. But his word is returning void. Nobody's listening to it. Nobody's responding to it. I mean, not only is that bad sociology, it's, it's, it's bad theology. Right, right. That's so well said there. Now, this is really an exciting subject. Uh, what's happening globally speaking, from the Christian church in, on the international scene, what's going on there? Oh my goodness. And, and again, a, a whole chapter in the book on that topic. One of the main guys that has been studying this is, is a guy from um, Baylor University, um, Philip Jenkins. And he is a careful scholar, very sober, measured scholar, but he uses words in his research like absolutely exploding, booming, taking off, you know, skyrocketing. The numbers of growth among real Christianity, faithful, biblical, vibrant worship, worshiping Christianity around the world, particularly in the Southern Hemisphere, right. but also so. up in China and through Asia, it is exploding. I mean, it would be very difficult to overstate the case. On the continent of Africa, there have been more seminaries built on the continent of Africa in the last 10 to 15 years than there have been built in the rest of the world combined. Wow. Extraordinary. Uh, it's just so extraordinary. Now, I've, I've talked with uh, Tim Keller about this, actually, if, I, mm -hmm. if memory serves, and he's he talked about how— um, I think, or at least I've heard him talk about this, um, that as far as an atheism revival going on, it's really the, the people that are atheists are wealthy white Westerners in urban cities, in urban, <laughs> in urban centers. Um, so my question to you, Glenn, is, is there an atheism revival going on, but even amongst those that are, how can we reach them for the gospel? Yeah, yeah. First of all, I mean, you know, we saw, if you will, this this atheistic revival um, simply in these books, you know, by these, you know, quasi famous um, atheists. And you would think that, gosh, those books were popular. Those books were being read. They were influential. But only three percent of Americans today identify as atheists. Mm -hmm. Only four percent identify as agnostic. And I saw an article just a couple of weeks today, a couple of weeks ago on a wonderful um, you know, kind of reliable, authoritative, conservative news site. And the title was Atheism, the Fastest Growing Religious Category in America. You just go to the Pew data, and they're very clear there. Only 3% of individuals um, are, are atheists. Another thing that comes out of Pew is only 7% of Americans have a wholly negative view of the church. People do not hate Christians. People do not wish Christians would just go away. For the most part, and even atheists are shown to be this way, see that Christians in the community have a very important role to play and that their communities are better communities because Christians live there. So we need to understand numbers like that. And, you know, the way to reach atheists like that is, first of all, to love them. Very few people, and C.S. Lewis is, is one of them, I mean, even as logical as he was, 
it was not like a logical checkmate that forced him into the kingdom. It was God's spirit working through him. So we've got to pray for God's spirit to convict um, our atheist friends, neighbors, co-workers. But the other is love. Love, if you will, is the final apologetic. I mean, that's what being friends with these people and talking about your faith for sure and being forward about your faith. But the love that we have for them, the care that we have for them, the interest that we have in them is, if you will, the, the grease that will lubricate you know, the word of God and, and our Christian witness into their lives. And I think that's very, very important. And then the other is, you know what, we just have to trust God's Holy Spirit to convict and illuminate um, our atheist friends' minds, because that is really, you know, if you will, the drill that drills into the heart and the mind of the individual and convicts them. God loves them too. May we never yep. forget. Uh, yep. This has been such a great conversation, Glenn. I've so enjoyed having you. If we could now, just uh, just to wrap this up, uh, give some counsel to parents. I, I think I hear from parents a lot these days as I report on a whole host of things, really. But the most important thing to them, especially if they're Christian parents mostly that speak to me, they just more than anything, want to make sure that their kids encounter the Lord and that their faith is strong. And there are so many competing forces jockeying for their kids' attention, and we live in a very distracted age. Um, but what what would you say? Give some advice to moms and dads who want to make sure that their kids grow up to know the Lord and that they have a faith that is substantive and sustainable. And one that lasts. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. I mean, good Christian parents, that is their ultimate desire, their greatest desire is to see their kids, you know, adopt and hang on to a very serious faith. And in the myth of the dying church, my my chapter eight is all about that presenting research. The title of it is Passing on Faith to Our Kids is Neither a Crapshoot nor Rocket Science. And the research shows us that and this is secular research done at leading universities some of it done at Notre Dame University of North Carolina and University of Southern California these researchers show that for parents who take their kids to church regularly and again none of this you have to be perfect but you know what we the Stanton family we go to church we belong to this church we're there most every sunday we're involved in what goes on that we as the stands, we read our Bibles together. And this doesn't mean you have quiet time every day, right at this period of time, or even that you read your Bibles every day. But Bible reading, studying the scriptures is a normal part of what your family does. Praying, and not just praying over meals, but you know, when you're driving down the road and you see an accident, and mother or dad just says, Lord, please, please watch over those people. And you know, you're throwing these kind of things out there in the natural warp and wolf of, of regular life. Your kids are taking those things in. Two other things that these researchers say is very important um, and, and you know leads to kids hanging on to their faith are what we would call satellite adults. And that is mom and dad being faithful, but having the youth pastor, having Uncle Jim, having you know, their art teacher at school who has a faith. And the kids say like, okay, you know what, mom and dad, they have this faith, but they're kind of nerdy. But Uncle Jim, he's pretty cool. 
Um, and he has the same faith. So that undergirds that faith. And then the other, the last, is sort of what you talked about earlier, and that is the kids facing a bit of persecution for their own faith. Resistance makes muscles stronger, and resistance to faith makes that faith muscle stronger. And these scholars say that parents who do these things somewhat regularly and even imperfectly, their kids are nearly guaranteed to hang on to their faith into adulthood. And they are just unequivocal about that and very confident about that. So chapter eight in the book gives parents real encouragement in saying anybody can do these things. It doesn't matter how well-educated you are, how much money you make, um, how mature you are, the neighborhood you live in. Any parent can do those things, church attendance, Bible reading, prayer, you know, having other Christians around your kids. Those are the things that, again, nearly guarantee your kids are going to hang on to their faith and carry it into their adulthood. For our listeners, check out Glenn Stanton's book, The Myth of the Dying Church. It's a very compelling read. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us today. 